last few weeks um, working our way through uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew, but doing it through the idea of this um, call that Jesus has to, um, to be a part of his kingdom, that he came declaring the good news of the kingdom of heaven, and that he is calling us to seek first, to put his kingdom first. He's actually, he's inviting us to be a part of this kingdom. And the question is, well, if Jesus is, is introducing a kingdom and he's the, the king of this kingdom, and he's calling us to be participants, to be a part of this kingdom, is, is he worthy of being our king? Jesus wants to be the king of your life. So we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew through the perspective of a resume. What is Jesus' resume for being your king? And uh, this past week, I've uh, taken some time to get some letters of reference. So this morning, we're going to be just, I'm going to be sharing some letters of reference from people who encountered Jesus during his life that we meet in the Gospel of Matthew and just what they say about Jesus and whether they would refer him to you, recommend him to you to be the king of your life. All right? So I've got a number of letters here. Uh, it's a little different uh, structure today, but um, I think it's going to be helpful for us in making a, a really important decision. Is Jesus worthy to be king? Our first recommendation comes from uh, John the Baptist. John says, To whom it may concern... First time I met Jesus, I almost leapt out of my mother's womb, literally. Jesus was my younger cousin, and I understand family references are typically frowned upon, but my relationship with Jesus was unique. The ancient Hebrew prophets had said someone with the spirit of Elijah would prepare the way for the, for the Messiah, and an angel told my dad that someone was me. I was baptizing people in the Jordan River, part of my job preparing people, when I saw Jesus walk up. At that moment, I was sure he was the one. And I told everyone, look, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To my shock and dismay, he asked me to baptize him. I resisted, but he insisted. That day, I saw the Spirit of God come down on him, and I heard the voice of God say, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. As Jesus' work began to flourish, I found myself, found myself in Herod's prison, for speaking truth to power. I heard reports of blind people seeing, lame people walking, deaf people hearing, lepers being healed, even dead people being raised. It was all just as I'd expected, minus this one fact. I was languishing, languishing in chains, awaiting execution while it was all going down. I'd be lying to say I wasn't astounded by the way Jesus' work played out in my life. I never imagined when I said he must increase and I must decrease that the decrease would come from the neck up. Nonetheless, I commend Jesus to you as king of your life because then and now I trust what God says to be true more than I fear what any person in this world can do. And God said he is the one. I gave you, um, if you picked up an outline on your way in, um, there's a scorecard, really, for each one of these people. Do they recommend Jesus? Yes, no, or maybe. So John the Baptist gives his recommendation. The second letter of recommendation comes from Peter, uh, one of Jesus' disciples. He writes, to whom it may concern. My name is Simon Peter. I'm a fisherman. Well, actually, I am the fisherman. 
I mean, no one can match my fishing skills. One day I was fishing with my brother, Andrew, and I was as I was tossing the net, I saw a man approaching off in the distance. Normally I wouldn't think twice about some dude walking down the shoreline. I mean, it happens a lot in Galilee. But this man was different. I'm not sure why, but I couldn't stop thinking about him. He asked me to follow him and fish for men. I didn't know what he meant at first, but without even knowing it, I was following him. As I got to know the man, I saw him do incredible things. One night during a storm, he walked on the water to get out. He walked on the water to get out in our, in our boat, to get out to us in our boat. When he called me to join him on the water, as long as I focused on him, I was fine. But when I was just distracted, I sunk like a stone. After experiencing this and many other miracles, I realized that Jesus was the Messiah. And I told all my friends. One night, as we were having supper, Jesus told me that I would deny knowing him. Not just once, but three times. At that time, I was so sure that, I wouldn't, that that wouldn't happen. I told Jesus I would die before I did that. Later that night, a few of us went with Jesus to pray. Feeling the effects of the wine, I fell asleep. When I woke up, the Roman guards were taking Jesus away. We were all fearing for our lives, and we scattered. Then it happened. Not once, not twice, but three times people called me out as a follower of Jesus. And three times, like some scared little boy, I denied not just following him, I denied even knowing him, just like he had said. Jesus was beaten, ridiculed, and crucified. They prepared his body and was placed in a tomb. But not even a tomb could hold the Son of the living God. He had risen from the dead. He had told us to meet him, so we went, and he, and he was there. He told us to continue his teachings, to go as far as the ends of the earth, and to make followers of all kinds of people. And that he had given us all the power in heaven and earth, and that he would be with us always. Choosing Jesus as the king of your life, isn't the best choice. It's the only choice. If I had a microphone, I would drop the mic now. Our next letter from a Roman centurion. Um, if it's in parenthesis, Gaius, we're just giving them a name. We don't actually know his name, but he wrote this letter for us. To whom it may be concern, I'm a proud and humble officer of the Roman army. And I am writing this letter of reference for Jesus of Nazareth. I have never personally met Jesus of Nazareth, but I have observed the leadership of the people of Jerusalem. And I find their priests to be not only judgmental, but full of self-righteousness and having petty judgmental attitudes towards their own people. This new teacher has shown me something I never thought I would see. A possibility of a religion based on loving everyone, not just their own people. I have witnessed miracles, and I reached out to him to see if he would heal my faithful servant. He immediately said he would follow me and lay his hands upon my servant. But I knew he could just say the words, and he would be healed. When I said that the teacher praised my faith, and he healed my servant instantly. This is truly a leader and teacher that will change the world in ways we cannot fathom. I am convinced that he will change the world, and he deserves my endorsements and blessings as the Messiah. Sincerely, your faithful public servant, Centurion Gaius. The next letter comes from an unlikely source um, named Legion, also known as Demon. Yo, bro, 
I was forced to write this letter of recommendation for the one who shall not be named. Really, I can't even say his name. So I'll call him J-Dog. You may know him as the Messiah, Savior, all that stuff. So yeah, J-Dog, personally, I'm not a fan. Honestly, is not really, honesty is not really my thing, but let me tell you what I know. I hate the guy. He is always ruining everything. When he shows up, I have to leave. Even that bunch of dim-witted knuckleheads whom he calls his disciples can speak his name, and away I go. So I guess you can ascribe the characteristics of power to him. My personal experience with him is the same as all my buddies who encounter him. When we run into him, he might ask our name, but if he says we can't even speak, then our mouths are shut. Clearly, you have already figured out that he is the Son of God. That much is obvious to me and my friends. I mean, it's not even a question. We know who he is. J-Dog is also consistent. It's practically the same outcome every time we meet. If he tells us to go, we're gone because his power is greater than our master. It slays me to give the guy a compliment. Although my coworkers might disagree, J-Dog is somewhat gracious. He didn't send me to the abyss like he did so many others. He instead sent me and a few friends into a herd of pigs. And honestly, that was a good outcome for us, and it's what we had asked for. I've given much consideration to switching teams because no power can stand against him. So what the heck am I doing if I know he will not win the war? There is something appealing about him. Do I think you should consider him for the position? Hell no. It will only mean trouble for me and trouble for you. Internal peace, love, and heaven are severely overrated and are only for wimps. Sincerely, ha, legion. Next letter comes from Benjamin, who is a paralytic. To whom it may concern, this is a letter of recommendation for Jesus of Nazareth. I have known Jesus for some time now. I met him under unusual unusual circumstances. If for this position you are looking for someone who is intelligent, gifted, and powerful, then Jesus is the man for the job. In addition to these qualities, he is also graceful, and he thinks outside the box. He's an eloquent speaker and understands the dynamics of communication. He has excellent crowd control. Even the crowd is contentious. He is intuitive, and he seems to know what people need even before they know what they need. What stands out to me most is that he is a healer of body and soul. His behavior is delightfully surprising at times, and he is not afraid to confront if needed. I strongly recommend that you consider Jesus for the position of king. If you do hire him, know that there will be some unexpected turns in your journey. While this may seem unsettling, I believe there is no one better for the position. If you have any further questions or concerns, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. Thank you for your time. Benjamin Haddad, formerly paralytic. Our next recommendation comes from Matthew. My name is Matthew. I'm a tax collector. Needless to say, I'm loathed here in town. So when Jesus walked up to my tax booth and said, follow me, I was blown out of my mind. Oh, and I got up and followed him. Not only did he call me, he wanted to come over and party in my home with all my tax collector friends. When the Jewish priests and leaders heard this, they were so scornful and jealous that they reprimanded him then and there. His response was that he didn't come to save the righteous, but he came to save us, sinners. Wow, I was so impressed, and I felt so honored and blessed. 
We sat and talked for hours. I was so impressed that I promised to make amends by paying back all the people I had cheated and sell everything so that I could follow this great man and learn the meaning of life from him, who I know believe is the Messiah that was promised. Hallelujah, I'm so grateful and honored that he chose me and that all it cost me was surrendering every possession and learn from the holy king this world, of this world and the ruler of humankind forever. There was no one more worthy of my endorsement than this king who has sent me from God and who is God, a God who loves even the least of us. Hallelujah and praise Jesus, your loving disciple, Matthew. This letter is from uh, Jairus. To whom it may concern, I'm a local official of the synagogue. But you may be familiar with the title of CEO of the local megachurch. I'm a highly respected member of society. While my position has given me status in most circles of influence, I have recently had my world shaken to its foundations by an event I would like to present to you, as crazy as it may sound. Not long ago, my beautiful daughter fell very ill, and I was undone by my powerlessness to help her. My doctor, no doctor could offer hope, and I was filled with despair. Around the same time, there were rumors that there was a healer in our midst, in our very city, who was doing amazing things. People were having their sight restored, leprosy removed, paralysis and deformation corrected, and much more. These rumors were not only circulating in the general public, but also quietly by people of influence and high position. When I finally accepted the fact that there was no help to be had from the medical field, in desperation, I sought this healer as the last hope to save the life of my daughter. I am no different than any other father who would do anything before resigning myself to my child's death. I found this, man's, found this man, and I dropped to my knees, and I pleaded with him to come to my home and lay hands on my daughter. I don't know if I truly had faith that he could heal her or if I just couldn't live for myself if I didn't reach out for every thread of hope, however implausible. I pleaded with this man to help me, and he agreed. While we sped to my house, there was an interruption as another grasp for healing, and the way this man came through for her strengthened my faith that he was able to help him, me too. However, we were met by some who came from my house to inform me we were too late. My daughter was already dead. My world stood still. My heart must have stopped. And this healer noticed. He quickly told me to trust him and that everything was going to be okay. We soon arrived at my house, and after waiting through the wailing family members and running to my daughter's room, I, along with my wife and a few of the healer's followers, witnessed this man bring my baby back to life. I know it sounds crazy, but he raised her from the dead. He did it calmly with an authority and power I had never seen before. He even nonchalantly instructed us to give her some lunch, as if we weren't about to throw the biggest party ever. He told us not to leave, reveal anything that happened in that room. How humble he was. But I think it's okay to talk about it now. You may think this story is too incredible to believe, but I know it to be true. And it is more than enough to convince me that the king we need is him. He is compassionate humble, and has the power even over death. I hope you carefully consider him as king for yourself. Sincerely, Jairus. The next letter from a Pharisee we call Yusuf. 
Jesus of Nazareth. The first reports were so full of promise. A teacher who spoke with wisdom and authority beyond his years. Stories of blind people seeing again, deaf people hearing again, lame people walking, demons fleeing. Our people had been living under the ruthless control of Roman soldiers in the land that had been given to us by God. We waited in desperation for the Messiah God had promised through our prophets. Could he finally be here? Then other reports began to surface. Reports of this man fraternizing with people of ill repute, tax collectors who had sold their own people out, women of unquestionably questionable character, Samaritans. It only went downhill from there. He talked about God like he was his only begotten son or something. He flouted the Sabbath laws, blatantly ignored the purification laws. God himself had given us. He did this all while openly challenging the character of the leaders of the religious communities, the Pharisees and Sadducees, even the high priest himself. It was our ancestors' disobedience to these laws that got us into this mess in the first place. I was in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover of the day Jesus came in on a donkey while the crowd shouted, Save us, son of David. And he just rode along like a conquering hero. His popularity with the people and insinuations that he was the king of the Jews threatened what little standing we did have with the Roman authorities. If we didn't put an end to him, they might have put an end to us. I was in the temple the day Jesus came in tossing tables and carrying on about us turning God's house into a den of robbers. To this day, I don't understand why God didn't strike him down on the spot for such brazen defilement. My recommendation, unless you have a penchant for people who have a penchant for problems and causing problems, I recommend you stay as far away from this man as you possibly can. Respectfully, Yusuf. From Rich, a wealthy young ruler. Sell it all, give the money to the poor, and follow me. That's not all Jesus said the day I met him, but it's all I remember. I was raised in a Jewish family and taught the Ten Commandments growing up. I knew the right things to do, and I was a rule follower, so I did them. But there was still something missing in my life, and that's why I went to Jesus. When I asked him, he told me to get rid of everything I had, and for the record, I had a lot. I was so disappointed that day. I had been intrigued by the things I'd heard about Jesus, drawn to the things he was teaching. I truly thought he might have the answer. I suspect you have requested this reference because you are looking to Jesus as I did. I won't tell you what I think you should do, but I wanted Jesus to help me fill the gaps in my kingdom, and he wanted me to sell it all for his. And now from Mrs. Thunder, the mother of James and John. To whom it may concern, I'm a good Jewish mother, firm, protective, resolved to do everything to help my family succeed. I'm a wife and have two sons, James and John. While I was quite content to see my husband and sons manage the family fishing business and enjoyed the comfortable financial status it brought, recent events have changed our lives dramatically. 
While fishing one day, a man appeared on the shore teaching a group of people. The next thing they know, the hubby and boys and their friends are struggling to haul the biggest catch they'd ever seen. All because this teacher asked one of them, after a night of catching nothing, to try again. It's almost too incredible to believe this story, but there are no fools, so I guess it must be true. Almost as incredible was the fact that my two boys had been offered to the call to follow this teacher, a rabbi, to follow him and learn from him. I was taken back at the change in occupation. The pay wasn't nearly as good, and there was a lot of travel and not much notoriety. But they were excited, and their father was willing. So who was I to object? The buzz around town soon surfaced that this might be the Messiah. And I thought maybe it was good we got in with the right crowd early, before he got too popular, and everyone started jumping on the bandwagon. As the rabbi's reputation grew, I knew something big was happening and decided I need to take some initiative to make sure my sons were properly recognized in this organization. My boys got the nickname Sons of Thunder, which sounds really important to me. However, I felt that James and John weren't being forceful enough in establishing their rank among the group. So I approached the rabbi one day. I asked him to give his word that he would award my sons the highest place of honor in his kingdom. His response surprised me. Do you have any idea what you're asking? He turned to my boys and asked if they would be able to handle the cost of such a thing. And he told them, they, they told him he could. After thinking a moment, the rabbi told them they would pay a price for their association with him. Something about that statement made me uneasy. He concluded this conversation with the disappointing revelation that he actually wasn't even in charge of rank and order, but God is. That wasn't the result I was looking for. And I'm a bit confused about whether I accomplished anything to help my sons after the status, after, uh, to attain the status they deserve. If you're looking to establish someone as your king, you may want to look carefully at who this rabbi is, what his intentions are, and what the costs are and gains will be to your life. I don't think his first priority is making you a superstar. Respectfully, Mrs. Thunder. from a woman we call Maria, to whom it may be concerned, because pen and paper are somewhat difficult to attain, this is the first letter of recommendation I have given. It is my understanding that you are making a decision about hiring Jesus as king. My story is short, so my letter will be short. You see, I was with Jesus and his followers at Simon's house. Yes, Simon the leper. I had a large and very expensive jar of perfume. Jesus was sitting at the table, and I poured the perfume over his head. I was drawn to him. I felt whole in his presence. Anointing is usually saved for priests and sometimes kings, but it is forbidden for an outsider to anoint someone, especially a common person, a woman. I'm telling you, Jesus is not a normal person. The point of anointing someone is to set them apart as holy. I don't know what made me do it, but I was sure it had to happen. So I did it. He wasn't mad, but the others sure were. They said I could have sold the perfume and fed the poor. Jesus said I had done a beautiful thing, and it was preparing him for burial. It freaked me out a little bit, but the kindness and love that exuded from him was overwhelming. The man is beautiful, and there is nothing better in this world than to be in his presence. 
So yes, you should hire him. Thank you. Maria, the woman who anointed Jesus at Bethany. From Judas. To whom it may concern, I must share my thoughts and experience before you make your decision regarding Jesus of Nazareth. I met Jesus when he gave a sermon to a very large crowd in a remote place in Galilee. I had helped his followers negotiate the deal with the landowner to allow the sermon to be on the property. After listening to him speak, I was left in awe. I truly felt this man would change the world, and I asked him if he would be my rabbi and if I could join his followers. I have many talents in business and managing finances that I believed Jesus' ministry could benefit from. I spent over two years with Jesus and his followers, and trust me, after being on the road together and through many challenges, one gets to know each other very well. Naturally, I was assigned to be our group's treasurer in charge of our money. It was a very difficult job, as we didn't have much, and none of us had any steady income. Not all of my ideas were accepted, but we always seemed to get by with just enough. As for being a king of lives, I certainly love and respect him, but sometimes he's just not fast enough making change. And I don't understand why some get miracles, why others don't. It's as if he makes our lives more difficult than they need to be. Can you trust him? Yes. I truly believe he's an innocent man who has done no wrong. Is he the Messiah? I think so. Probably. We'll see. I've been thinking of a plan to get us more money, and through it, Jesus should be able to show us who he is, that he is who we think he is. To me, it's a win-win outcome. He gets to show that he can overcome the Sanhedrin while we take their money to grow our ministry. As the saying goes, a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. Not knowing how we're going to finance our next month of meals is killing me. I don't know. We'll see. I'm still not sure it's the right thing to do. I don't know if Jesus should be king of your life. I think you should just wait and see. It's not easy following him. Personally, I'm drawn towards doing things my way. He's always challenging me on that. I'm heading over to celebrate the Passover with the guys. Maybe, man, I'm hungry to eat some bread and wine. I have a feeling this will be a big meal. Judas Iscariot. From the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, to whom it may concern, I have only known Jesus of Nazareth for a short time, so my letter will be brief. I will, however, tell you what qualities I think describe him best. First and foremost, considering the events that have happened today, I believe him to be innocent. You are probably aware of the accusations he faces. I find no basis for the charges against him. Even Herod and my wife agree that he is innocent. I have washed my hands of this if the people and the chief priests choose to crucify him. Another quality that I discover in our conversations today is that he is clever, maybe even wise. I asked him if he was indeed the king of the Jews, and his response was, you have said so. The man is brilliant. He chooses his words wisely. However, he spoke very little to me compared to other prisoners I deal with. He is unique. While he is an average man of strength, physically speaking, he has strong presence and much character. He is humble and kind. He is the kind of leader most people look for when hiring a king. To my great amazement, he has struck me with, that this man is living and dying on purpose. He is a willing participant in whatever is going down. 
I'm not sure about the whole concept of Jesus thinking he is the king of the Jews. I recommend you look into that before hiring him. Some may think that is a strange claim. That being said, I still find that he is a strong candidate. He is possibly the strongest I have ever met. I will have to give my encounter with him some more thought because his presence has deeply affected me. Respectfully, Pontius Pilate. This from the soldier at the cross. We're calling him Quintus. People always say, when in Rome, do as the Romans. The reality is, when in Rome, do what the emperor tells you to do. It wasn't my dream job, but a civil society requires law and order. Law and order requires punishment, and punishment requires punishers. Wanting to send a clear message to would-be disruptors, Rome specialized in cruel and unusual punishment. Public humiliation, flogging, lion's food, and for the worst cases, crucifixion. And that's what the emperor told me to do. The day Jesus of Nazareth's sentence was passed down, I reported for duty like any other day. When we heard people saying this one was the king of the Jews, we decided to give him the royal treatment. Maybe we overdid it a little because we had to recruit a bystander to carry the cross up the hill. To the uninitiated, a crucifixion is a grotesque affair. But I'd done it so many times, it was rote. Attach the crossbeam, tie the criminal down, drive the spikes in, stand the cross up, drop it into the hole, wait for them to die. There were some notable differences that day. Typically, the criminals are belligerent, defiantly attacking their accusers or pathetically begging for mercy. Jesus was compliant, calm, resolute, as if he was actually where he was supposed to be doing exactly what he was supposed to do. Typically, they direct all their venom and vigor at us. Jesus asked his father, which made no sense at the time, to forgive us for what we were doing to him. And that made no sense either. At high noon, the sky turned dark as night. I just chalked that up to coincidence. Then three hours later, there was a massive rock-splitting earthquake. I don't know how to explain it but it felt like all of heaven and earth were crying out in anguish over what had just happened. And when I put all the pieces together, I knew like I've never known anything in my life, this man was the Son of God. Would I recommend you accept Jesus' offer to be king of your life? My conclusion, Jesus is the king. He is the ruler of everything in heaven and everything on earth whether you call him that or not. Quintus. From Mary Magdalene. Every life has defining moments. Mine has three. And they all have one thing in common. Jesus of Nazareth. I'd been plagued by demons my whole life. My dad abandoned us. My mom became an alcoholic. I looked to boys for love, and they used me for fun. And I tried to deaden my pain with drugs. People always said I had demons. I thought it was a figure of speech until Jesus set me free. It was the best day of my life, and I gave my life to helping him help others. For two years, I traveled with Jesus and his disciples as he helped so many people, the same way he had helped me. But the more news about Jesus spread, the more opposition to him grew. 
It led to the unthinkable. Jesus charged with leading a rebellion and sentenced to die. It was the worst day of my life. My heart was shattered and I sank into despair so deep I didn't think the sun would ever rise again. I just wanted to be close to Jesus, so I went to the tomb on Sunday, and it was empty. Chaos erupted, but all I could do was cry. What had they done with him now? Could they not let him rest in peace? When the gardener approached, I hoped against hope that he could help me find Jesus. When he said, Mary, my utter joy eclipsed the agony of the last two days. Jesus was alive. Jesus had rescued me, and now he had rescued the world. Should you make Jesus your king? He's kind, he's compassionate, he's powerful, and he walked out of the grave. If someone walks out of the grave, follow them. This is Jake. He's from the parable of the um, vineyard. To whom it may concern, I'm the guy who work, waits outside the Home Depot or Costco looking to be hired to do an honest day's work for an honest day's wages. I felt fortunate the day the vineyard owner came in. Getting picked up first thing, I'd get a full day of pay. I'd be able to feed my family that night and have a little left over towards new sandals for the kids. We were digging irrigation ditches to expand the vineyard. It was a hot day and the ground was rocky, so the work was painstaking. At mid-morning, the owner brought in a few more workers to speed up the progress, and he picked up a couple more at lunch. He had to pick up some supplies about an hour before sundown, and there was a guy still waiting for work. I thought the owner hired him out of pity, so he'd have a couple bucks to eat that night, or at least drown his sorrows. At the end of the day, the owner had us line up with the last person hired first, and the first person hired last. A little unusual, but I thought he was just sparing the father, the, the later hires, the pain of seeing what they didn't get. My eyes popped out of my head when he gave the guy who only worked one hour a full day's wages. If he got that for an hour, what am I going to get? Then he paid the noon hires the same thing. Odd, but okay. And the mid-morning hires the same again. I, I could see where this was going, and my blood started to boil. I spend the whole day doing back-breaking work in the hot sun. And I'm going to make the same as the guy who showed up for one hour. I didn't even try to hide my fury when the owner paid me. And he called me out. Friend, he said. Friend. This is how you treat your friends? He didn't just rip me off. He made sure he did it with an audience. He defended himself. I'm not being unfair. I gave you exactly what I promised. It's my money. I can be as generous as I want with whomever I want. I'll tell you what's fair. Be generous with the people who deserve it. I would strongly discourage you from making the man the king of your life. He teaches everyone who shows up the same, no matter how long the other people have been there or how long hard they've worked. With friends like him, who needs enemies? going to forego the last resume in the interest of time. But just ask this question. Questions. Who said yes? Who said yes to following Jesus? 
and who said no? The people who said yes, people like Jairus, his daughter, the disciples, Peter, Matthew, people like Mary Magdalene, subjected to seven demons, were people who had come to the end of their own kingdoms, had discovered their inability to make life work on their terms. It was people who had nothing else to do, no place else to look, who said yes. And the people who said no were people who still, at some level, believed in their kingdoms, held to the last vestiges of what they were able to muster up to make their life work on their own. The rich young ruler still had too much to live, to hold on to, to let go of. The demons clearly had a vested interest in a completely other kingdom. To join one kingdom is to leave another kingdom. To follow Jesus into his kingdom is to leave behind a kingdom that we have to let go of. The disciples all chose to follow Jesus in a moment. They dropped their fishing nets. They left their tax collector booths. But then as they followed Jesus in a moment, leaving their kingdoms behind to follow him in his new kingdom, they discovered over and over again their old kingdom clashing with Jesus' new kingdom. And their perspectives were changed about relationships, about women, about children, about marriage, about money, about power, about greatness. And each time their kingdoms clashed, they would have to choose again. His kingdom or back to my old kingdom. It is a one-time choice. It's a one-time choice to say, I will follow Jesus. I will leave my kingdom to join his. And you've heard the references. And there are mixed reviews. Where are you in your kingdom? Can you still hold it together? Can you still make it work? I find myself identifying more with the resistors than the easy receivers. Despite the fact that I recognize the futility of my kingdom, I know it's wasting away. I experience it every morning when I get out of bed. I know it will not last. And Jesus does not force his will upon us, but invites us to follow him. The price of a new kingdom is the cost of your old kingdom. Lord, I continue to pray as we 
walk through Matthew and look at the life that you lived and the lives that you touched and the outcome of that. That you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. The words that you spoke and the testimonies of those who heard them and responded. Lord, I pray, your kingdom come, your will be done over my life, over the lives of all those who have committed their lives to following you, and over the lives of all those who are weighing their options. Lord, I pray your kingdom come and your will be done over the lives of those who are completely convinced that they can manage it on their own. Lord, that we may find life in a kingdom that is eternal and that is good and that is freeing and it is full of life and free of all sickness and disease and suffering and pain. May your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray.